You're the expert. I am. Hey, I'm Phil Circle. Welcome to Life, Music, and the Pursuit of Answers. Uh, so I'm sitting here in uh, at, at the, the the headquarters, the world headquarters of Phil Circle Music and Gilpa Association Records, which amounts to a 300 square foot workspace in Rogers Park, Chicago, from which I've done a couple of these podcasts previously. But today I have a guest. This is John Prezant. Tell us about yourself. Let's start there. Well, that's really open-ended. Okay, well, I'll give a little, how do I know you? Uh, from music, yeah. So I started taking vocal lessons about two years ago with you. Um, and I, I don't consider myself necessarily a very musical person. It was equally that I'm interested in music. And also I was terrified of public speaking and performing, which I don't think I ever even told you. But before taking those lessons, I had been on stage once when I was around eight years old, and it was terrifying, and then never again. Was that something your dad made you do? Yeah. Because who was your dad? Um, so my dad is a musician of Soviet-Russian immigrants and a business owner. Um, and yeah, he's, he's fairly well known in, I guess, the Russian rock community in Chicago, and as far as music goes, I've always been sort of trying to live up to his, uh, his, not legacy, but status. He goes to a lot of, he does concerts, he goes to a lot of uh, music festivals and Russian music events, and he's always been trying to get me on stage with him. And when I was six, seven years old, um, we would perform together, and then around eight, eight or nine, I developed, I guess, self-esteem issues, <laughs> went on stage by myself one time, and it was it was terrifying. It, uh, you developed a sense of self. I guess. And yeah. suddenly you realized uh, the emperor has no clothes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that story. That's fun. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a similar kind of circumstances. My mom was a, uh, she produced opera, operettas, mm -hmm. comic opera in English. And uh, so, yeah, I'd get, I'd get thrown out on stage uh there was a picture of me over here on the wall in later hosen from one of her operettas, but I was about thirteen in that one. But there's, uh -huh. there's some other stuff too I've, I've got around. And uh, the way I opted not to try and live up to her legacy was to not become a classical musician. But that's partly because, you know, they took me to New Orleans on my seventh birthday, mm -hmm. and I saw yeah jazz groups and strip clubs, and that looked more fun. Definitely. So, the yeah. jazz groups. Yeah, yeah no the jazz groups. At seven, I had no interest in the clubs. So that's how we met. That's that's the background. That's the backstory, people, uh, how John and I met. Uh, also, if you buy any T-shirts and you have any complaints, uh, bring them up to him. Yeah. Uh, he, he prints them for me because he's a business owner. So let's go that let's go in that direction a little bit. All right. What, what inspired you? to want to go into business? How did it all begin? Um, well, I've got a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. My dad being, I guess, the, the largest figure for me in terms of that. He runs a um, IT company with a partner that's fairly large. And I always wanted to do something of my own. And I remember even as a kid, I was one of those kids that you know, sold everything on the street. I'd sell Pokemon cards, wrestling cards, Hot Wheels, I'd have yard sales. My grandmas would always um, reprimand me for that. And 
because they came from the Soviet Union. So they hate entrepreneurship. And oh. They would tell me I'm a dirty capitalist. Oh, and I would, no. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but it was everything. Lemonade stands, you know, door-to-door sales, selling whatever was in my pocket. Um, and then in high school, I wanted to go into business. That's sort of when I, I, I realized I want to do something myself. And I saw a lot of kids taking business classes. And I thought, this is cool, but I sort of want a hands-on um, education. My dad never even graduated high school. He just he moved here and started his own business. And How old was he when he came? 18. Really? So a year older or a year younger than me now. Wow. Um, he came here. I know he worked construction, a bunch of odd jobs, and then he started his own company. And for him, it was very important for me to get a school education, a proper college education. And while I saw the value in that, I also wanted something hands-on. But what is, what is your dad's business now? So it's, uh, quite honestly, I don't even understand the half of it. It's an IT company. They set up servers and maintain computer systems Correct. for businesses. So a guy without a high school diploma, more or less, mm-hmm. that didn't go to college, has an IT company. Yeah. And so he learned it by hands-on. Yeah. So he does operations and he's got a um, business partner who does the technical aspect, the programming, the coding, software setup, hardware setup. How much of the idea of you having to go to school that he impressed upon you do you think was uh, just one of those things that parents often do? I didn't have this, you should. Mm -hmm. Do you think there was an aspect of that for him that while he didn't get to finish school or go to college, he wants to make sure you do? How much of it do you think was that? How much of it do you think was, well, you're going to do it because that's what you do? I want to say 50-50. It's um, a lot of it. Well, my, my entire friend group is in college. I don't have any friends that dropped out of school. Wow. Although I have you know peers and people I talk to who did. But my main friend group, the people I hang out with on a daily basis, are all in school. And this was sort of the path that everybody around me was taking. So I knew that I'm going to go to college. Um, my mom got her MBA in 2014. So she was taking night classes. That was a big part of it. And then my dad wanting, I always thought that I'm going to just take programming lessons and leech onto his company (laughs) and maybe, you know, family business. Yeah. Be part of the family business, but he made it um, clear that he wants me to go to school. And that was a big part of it too, because he was the entrepreneur. My mom was for school, but she also went to school. My dad is the one without an education. So I thought I'm going to do whatever he's going to do. So when he said, you know, he drew a line in the ground and said, you're going to school and you're going to get your degree. And then all the entrepreneurial stuff is extra. You know, I, I understood that. So, uh, and what is, what, uh, what business did you end up getting into? So people understand what you, oh, I already said you, you know, my yeah, t-shirts well, are printed by you, but that's. Yeah. I got into screen printing, which was something I was 14. I was just starting high school And I went through a ton of ideas. Um, That entire first year of high school was just me trying idea after idea. And there's very little that a 14-year-old can do to kind of get his feet wet in business. For me, it was so hot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, it was like I was at a wealthy high school and everybody smoked. It was like 1980, you know. Well, honestly, pot dealers got a decent education in terms of (laughs) sales and... Um, yeah, I, I marketing. I, 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 
I got a job at a 7-Eleven when I was 18, and I became the manager three months later, and the owner admitted to me that he had found out my background, um, that I had done that in high school, and he said, I figured you knew how to run a business. So it's funny how that works. Yeah. Of course, now it's been decriminalized here in Illinois. I don't smoke it anymore. I stopped when I was about 18. But I understand what you're saying by the from the standpoint of at 14, first of all, people don't take you seriously. You can't be like, hey, I'm going to provide services in this area or whatever. Yeah. They're like, what do you know? You're 14. And yeah, I was the same thing. I didn't really want for anything, but my dad was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so I was always looking for ways to make money. And he wouldn't just give it to me. He'd be like, go do something and I'll pay you for it. You know, trying to encourage it, right? So then I started doing other jobs. And I started, you know, so I, would always, I was always looking for something. Yeah. I went through, I did a lot of odd jobs. I did... Um, landscaping I did snow removal and like seasonal stuff like that um and I went as I mentioned through a lot of ideas and there's very little stuff that people trust a 14 year old with yeah um especially I was in high school very into technology so I wanted to build PCs or do software um development or web development and nobody trusts a 14 year old with that but t-shirts is something that I could print you know one or two t-shirts bring them into my classroom and a, a lot of especially because I was in high school. It was a little bit of an incubator. A lot of the uh, classes, classrooms wanted to get t-shirts done, a lot of the sports teams. And I could come in with a t-shirt, show them, this is my work, you know, take it home, wash it, make sure it doesn't, the design doesn't flake off. And, right, right. Um, and then I'll get you a better deal than your current t-shirt provider. And you thought of that without having to get a, take a business class or yeah. get an MBA or anything. It was common sense. It, this entire business has been common sense and sort of one step after another. There was no big class I took or big breakthrough I had. It was, it started with, you know, I printed some t-shirts out of my bedroom, some classes ordered it, then the gym, our school, you know, football team ordered some, and then the local grocer ordered some. The and local grocer. Yeah. I, I've been printing. It sounds so small town, the local grocery. Well, yeah, it is small town. It's, you're in Skokie, Illinois. It's in Skokie. It's a suburb yeah. of Chicago, folks. And the company's Skokie Printing. I'm slowly growing out of that name and moving into Morton Cove and Evanston in Chicago, but it's still a lot of small businesses, driving schools, construction companies, uh, landscaping companies, people that need 10, 15, 20 shirts. Um, and yeah, everything's been very incremental. As the orders go up, I get more equipment. and So you're taking the money and putting it back in. Yeah. And that again is common sense. I'm making a lot of money and I'm very broke. Uh, that's that's you know, welcome to being an entrepreneur though yeah Isn't, that's something too that uh, uh, uh so you're you're how old now 19 yep all right so explaining to people who want to be their own boss uh and uh, having your own business and uh a business that sounds uh, successful uh, th- th- that doesn't mean you have a bunch of money yeah that doesn't mean you have lots of free time Unless you don't keep reinvesting in the business and unless you just, it's like a hobby, you know? Yeah. So, so like, uh, you know, what do you work? Uh, well, you're in school right now too, right? Or you don't? Yeah, I take night classes. I'm done. I might take a class in the summer and I'm trying to balance that as much as I can. So I take three, four classes a semester, mostly night classes and then work during the day. Yeah. And do you hire anybody? Yeah, um, so I'm trying to get the family as involved in this business as possible, especially as it grows. 
because it's at a point now where, quite honestly, I can't manage it myself, right. but I can't justify renting out a space and hiring employees, especially because I'm, I'm finishing school and I'm taking classes. So my uncle bought some embroidery machines and we expanded into embroidery oh, nice. and I pass on embroidery orders to him. And then I've got my little cousin who I pay um, in cash to do all my cleaning, cleaning screens, organizing t-shirts. And um, he does sales for me because he's in high school now. So right. he took over all of those clients that I lost when I graduated. Do you, do you uh, cut him a commission for that? Yeah. yeah right he now. makes a hefty commission and he's the coolest kid in school now. All right. Because he's got, you know, <laughs> a couple hundred bucks a week that he can spend on. And whatever. Yeah. Unless he decides to parlay it into a business of his own. Which he wants to. So so why what what told you uh, to, to do any of these things? Other than to just be at, at, at age 14, um, plenty of people would go make a bunch of money and just blow it all. Yeah. Like your little cousin, you're saying his school is good to school because he's got like 200 bucks to blow every week, right? Yeah. Um, but what made you think, oh, I should probably this and tomorrow, I should build on this? Well, money's a great motivator, and I do. <laughs> have you know money that I can spend on myself I pay myself a salary and have an allowance and so that's nice but um that's and, smart business by the way yeah and uh, at first it um at first it was really it was about experience and it was about money so I wanted to get I wanted to learn a little bit about business and then I enjoyed having money every week to spend but as I started growing the company I sort of got obsessed with with just this whole idea of growing a business I was meeting I met the mayor of Skokie because he needed some shirts. I joined the chamber of commerce and started shaking hands with all these important people. And it, it's that, I don't know, it's shaking the hands and, you know, writing invoices and, and talking to important people on the phone is nice. And the more I grow the company, the more I invest money into it, the more of that I get to do. Like even doing this podcast is something that I don't think I would have done if I were just smoking pot right. and clubbing right now. <laughs> I have nothing to talk about. Well, so is, is, is there's uh, what you're talking about about shaking hands with people and, and that sort of thing. It, it's uh, you know I remember these sorts of things happening as my music career you know began to to become a career mm -hmm. you know when it started to be a source of income. And it's not that I've thought about this. You know, it's not it's not the oh well I'm with important people therefore I'm important. It's the the fact that it legitimizes you. Yeah. So that you're you're doing the things that our culture and that our society say are uh, the things that successful people do, and so now it legitimizes your business. It tells you that the work you've been doing is is paying off because people are approaching it with uh, a certain respect. Uh, and how many of them have been surprised when they meet you to find out how old you? Almost all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially the bigger client, the clients that I'm excited to meet are the ones that are the most surprised. They're like, what? what yeah. Whether they think you're like in your twenties or thirties or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, when it's somebody ordering shirts for their grandma's birthday or whatever, they don't really care who prints it. But when I'm working with, you know, Skokie parks or Evanston public library and I show up and I look like I'm 12 because <laughs> I just shaved, it's, it's a good feeling. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's, that's yeah. really, that's fantastic. Uh, how about how about the, uh, the the overall ongoing challenge of it? Is is that uh, something that keeps you motivated? Yeah. So I have zero free time, and it's awesome. It's just the fact that I'm busy enough that I have to wake up a little earlier and go to bed a little later. It's 
I mean, it's, it's hard and demanding, but at the same time, it's, it's very fulfilling work. And I get a, every order I complete, I get to drop off and, and shake hands with somebody and I get a check and it, I get instant gratification from every job I finish. And so it's very incremental and it's very rewarding. Um, it, and the, the, so, all right, then moving on to that aspect of it. Yeah. Then the, the rewarding aspect of handing somebody their order and take, getting the money from them and, and they're happy and that sort of thing. Uh, is this a, uh, an aspect of a feeling of purpose then? Yeah. You're making people happy. You're giving, now, of course, the personalized T-shirts or grandma's birthday, that's the, those are the things. They're going to keep them forever. Yeah. You know, that's like a you've, it, that's like being a wedding photographer or something like that because it gives it a real, you know, it's a, a real distinct purpose. Uh, the, the Evanston Public Library, maybe not so much. But the sense of satisfaction that you give people. Yeah. Well, something I'm obsessed with is responsibility. I think it's extremely underrated. It's, <laughs> it's extremely underused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And especially people my age, when I look around, not specifically my friend group, but the people that graduated with me and are currently in college, a lot of them are lost and they're kind of trying to find themselves and they're doing it in probably not the most productive and healthy ways. Um, and I've sort of, this business has given me a purpose and it's also instilled a sense of responsibility in me. Um, I'm extremely honored to be able to pass on some work to my uncle and employ my cousin and teach him some business skills. I'm currently trying to find something to get my grandparents involved because they're retired. And But what about the have, fact that you're a dirty capitalist? Well, <laughs> for some reason, I'm no longer a dirty capitalist. Oh, okay. in there's, now there's money involved. Yeah. Right? Well, We'll forgive you. Actually, um, funny story. My grandparents owned a screen printing company in the Soviet Union. Really? Yeah. That's... Except it was state owned. So it was different. But um, yeah, they ran a, they did, you know, political posters and newspaper printing. So not textile like me, but nevertheless, a printing company. And they had so a very similar were... family structure. But they towed the party line because they were told what to print. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Because that, that's, uh, you know, now you're, how does your dad feel? Are those your dad's parents or your mom's parents? Mom's parents. Yeah. So now knowing your dad, how does, how does your dad feel about their, uh, their views like that? How do you mean? Okay. So that they're calling you, they, they were obviously not that, you know, we say dirty capitalists with like quotes around it. You know? Yeah. Um, it's not, not like some horrific thing. No. Okay. But, um, uh, where, where are his views from having left Soviet Russia, uh, at 18 mm -hmm. coming here and, and working and eventually starting a business of his own. And now his son is starting a business and at his in-laws, uh, still apparently hold on to some Soviet ideals. And I'm one, by the way, to just clarify that I don't have a, a good or bad view on things. I, I, I really believe that people in their own head think they are right about what they believe. And that's why I like having dialogues with people because mm -hmm. I like to understand when I, when I don't, <laughs> I find the best way to, is, is to have a dialogue. So, like, where does he fit in all this stuff? How does he feel about what you're doing? How does he feel about what they 
about their thoughts on that? Is there is there any lingering uh, old world thinking uh, around your home? Is there uh, you know what's changing? What's different? What's you know? Give me give me some insight. I think given the age of my grandparents, their views as far as you know their economic views and political views don't really intertwine. Don't really reach my dad at all. Yeah. Um, as far as his views on the business. I think he's proud. Yeah. I, I um, I know he's very, very adamant about me being in school, and the business does get in the way of that. For example, a really big conflict we had is the fact that I'm going taking night classes in community college as opposed to going to say business school in a in a large state university, um, and that's been sort of a source of tension with us, um, and. I honestly think that in the end it's justified. I think that the business and what I'm, the skills I'm getting from that, especially considering the fact that I am in school and I'm not dropping out, I'm just sort of taking night classes and taking an easier route. Is a uh, well, now I'm I'm uh, you know Ed, if you listen to this, the, the you can call me and tell me to stick it up my posterior. Um, that's Ed, by the way, John's dead. Uh, so I, I have met a lot of MBAs who have the business acumen of a mouse. I've met very few MBAs that actually know how to run a business. Um, just like I've been to a lot of doctors in my life, and some of them are good, and some of them didn't really couldn't really fix anything. Just like. Yeah, people go and uh, get trained on how to work on a car, and some of them do a better job than others. Uh, I went to, uh, you know, I got my degree in music, and there were plenty of people who got the same degree that don't know what they're doing. Um, so I think in the world of business, uh, there is a lot to be said for the fact that you're actually working. In fact, I had an economics teacher in college who uh, gave me an A, and afterwards I talked to him, and I was like, I said, I must have done better on the final than I thought because I was kind of skating by, you know, and it wasn't that I didn't understand the material. It was that I was so busy with everything. And he said, no, I'll give you an A because you understand economics. You're out there living it, you know. So I thought that that was very, very insightful. So I, I'm uh, in your defense. Yeah, I think I think you're doing the right thing because I just from my own experience of of meeting so many people with MBAs and I just don't even know what, what good, it, what good it's doing them. And in fact, a lot of schools have removed their MBA programs now. That's interesting. Yeah. Partly because of crippling student debt. Oh yeah. You know, that people are going getting the MBA and it's not really increasing their salary. Do you know, there was, there was certainly a time and that time would coincide with your dad and my generation. Uh, that getting a college degree guaranteed you a certain level of employment. Uh, it does not anymore. Uh, there, there are people with master's degrees and all kinds of things right now waiting tables. That's true. I'm, to a certain degree, though, I am still pro-college. I think statistically, well, I know statistically, you know, with a degree you're guaranteed to make more money. Yes, um, and. But what I think the, the return on investment comes from is just work. You can go to school 
and get your degree and not learn anything if you don't put work in. And you can just as easily drop out of school and run a tiny screen printing company out of your basement and not really work on growing it and end up in your basement 10 years later. What really separates the winners from the losers is the work. Um, and you can get a go to college and put the work in and get a degree and get a decent job with it and work your way up the corporate ladder. So one of the things I got out of, out of school was what you're talking about, work. I already had a work ethic when I got there. I didn't go until I was in my 20s. But uh, the ability to go to school full-time, uh, play gigs constantly. I worked at the school. I worked outside the school. And somehow get through there and, and graduate with honors told me I was capable of more than I thought. So just the pure life lessons involved in uh, going to college and doing it right. You're absolutely right. I would say that the, the, just the work ethic alone, just the, the, and the work that you have to do in order to, to do it right. Um, and I'm all, all about education. I'm a big fan of education and, uh, but I'm also a case in point of, uh, not going to college right out of high school benefited me. And so I just, I think you have to know what you're doing, where you, what you want to be doing. Yeah. I hear a lot of stories from people who went to college right out of high school and they didn't know what they wanted. So all they did was waste their parents' money and they admit that and they wish they had done it differently. Um, but yes, there are also people as, as a teacher, I get, I get this a whole lot when people are like, you know, uh, Found out I, I teach guitar and, and voice, you know, and they're like, uh, "Oh man, I wish I, I wish I'd stuck with the guitar." There are just as many people saying, "I wish I'd gone to college. I wish I'd stuck with college." Of course, my answer to that is, "So what are you waiting for?" Well, I'll be like, you know, forty-five next year. Well, you're going to be forty-five anyway. Yeah. So go ahead and do it. What are you waiting on? You know, because there's that aspect of it too. I've met people who went back got their PhD in their in their sixties. One of my sisters. Uh, went into a PhD program uh, at, at 50, you know, another one uh, after that, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so I think there are many, many different angles to it. But when I think we're talking about business, there's a whole lot of creativity and common sense both involved. And then the self-discipline, no school's going to teach you. But if you're taking this information and you're able to apply it to the, to the, to the work that you're doing, you're able to see the application. Like music theory, right? So when we uh, uh, when we were working together, you may, I don't know if you recall me talking about music theory on the guitar. I teach applicable music theory, that is, as it applies to the work that we're doing. Otherwise, you don't remember it. Yeah. It's like, okay, so like I told you, I'm learning some Russian, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so far, I, I haven't found an opportunity to, uh, to ask where the train station is. So my Russian isn't going to be very good until I can find applications for the words that I'm using, for the phrases that I'm learning, that kind of thing, you know? So having the app, it's like you're, you're doing the two things. You're taking to the, the two main tools and putting them together, keep, I think, keeps you motiv motivated on both ends of it. You're going to go to a class and you're going to come out of there and go, man, I could apply this to my business. Definitely. You know? Yeah. And then you go on and you got the business going and it's like, now I know why I'm going to school. So I think you're, I think you're doing, I think you're in the right, you're in the right place, you know, with it all. Um, something else uh, we, we talked about 
before. So again, anybody who is listening, a lot of the people that I bring on here, it comes out of, I'm having a conversation with them like a day or two before I bring them on here. And it occurs to me, wow, you know, we need to, I need to bring on the podcast because we should talk about this because I don't like to keep it to myself. It doesn't seem fair. I think I say that every time practically. Um, so uh, one thing that we, uh, we, were, that we were talking about, so when I was your age, uh, I was uh, managing a 7-Eleven and I had a wholesale business. I was going around to 7-Elevens yeah. and stuff. Uh, and mini marts of all kinds, which were a newer thing, like with gas stations, they were all starting to build mini marts. Um, and, uh, you know, there was like getting the 10 pumps in a car wash and a mini mart was like a new thing. Now it's like 20 pumps is not a big deal, you know? Yeah. So I was going around to them selling sunglasses and lighters and batteries and, and, uh, condoms and whatever, anything that would, would, was disposable. And I'd come back every week. So I was doing that, and I remember I was looking at stuff to, about being an entrepreneur. I was always reading up on things, right? Um, and, of course, I was, at the, in the midst of all this, aspiring to be a musician. So I was knowing that all of my managerial skills I was learning at the 7-Eleven and all the entrepreneurial skills I was learning with my business were going to help me in my career in music because I'd understand business, I'd understand being self-employed, the discipline involved. And, of course, these things also funded my efforts, you know? So, uh, one thing that frustrated the hell out of me was reading, uh, all about uh, all this entrepreneurial stuff that would, was just like, Oh, all you need is BS and expertise and a few bucks, and, you know, and, uh, a popular bumper sticker at the time was, and I think you still see it occasionally, but it was he who dies with the most toys wins. It was that so it was the total mindset. Of course, we're talking about the '80s, and anybody who has, no, who has a little history of culture knows the '80s was a very, very self-centered, you know, time. Uh, and and you know, a powerful economy was happening, and people were just. Exp- and we're back. <laughs> so I was talking about the the '80s economy and the approach to, that entrepreneurs took at the time, and it's a very self-centered kind of approach. It didn't, you didn't have to have any purpose. It rubbed me the wrong way. Um, for whatever reason, it just didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, and so every business that I had, like my wholesale business was based around, uh, a need that I saw from working at 7-Eleven, right? We'd get people came in who just dumped product on the floor and you got it for dirt cheap, but you had to put it up. There were no guarantees. It was broken or whatever. Then you have pe- people that came in and put it all up and dust the the display and price it and have you know re- take returns on that, but it was overpriced. And then there was one guy that came in and he did both, and it was it was like dirt cheap, and he did all the service and guarantees. So like it was through him that I got into it because I was like that's that's the way to go. And I learned a lot about business from him. He made it cash only. Uh, he owned you know he came by every week every place only what they needed nothing more nothing less didn't put didn't oversell and as a result he made a really great living by fulfilling a clear need that made everybody happy when i got out of that business to go to college because i I just knew i'd be too busy my accounts were were upset (laughs) with me they're like where else are we going to get this you know so i've always been motivated that way so I, i now now what's different about being an entrepreneur now so 30 years later 
Well, there's this culture of authenticity that I think is is largely a result of of the internet and the way that everybody is interconnected today. There's a lot less BS in business. Um, we've got Yelp reviews and Google reviews, and everybody's always always rating each other. And there's also just a demand from the market for a, for a story and for for some authenticity. So people want to know who's behind the screen printing. People want to know who they're getting their vocal lessons from. They want to know who's organizing their events and they want to build a relationship with the people they work with. Uh, I really can't speak for the eighties because I wasn't around then. <laughs> right. Of course. Not. But, but I do know that um, culture and authenticity is a much, is a much bigger deal now than it was say before. Um, it's very important for me to, to build relationships with all my clients and I always ask for reviews and I've got a five star rating everywhere and I flaunt that very proudly you should. because as opposed to some of, and I work with some older screen printers, some guys that were, have been printing since the seventies and eighties. And a lot of them are suffering now because they have, you know, they like to cuss and they're not very nice to customers and, and their work is quite honestly much better than mine. They've been doing this for decades but people don't like him as much and they don't have good reviews online and they don't have a story and they're just, they're just in it for the money and clients see that the market sees that and they don't want to work with them anymore. Part of the reason I'm growing my part of the reason my business is growing so well is because I have an interesting story. I'm young and people want to support me. Even if I may mess up here and there, I always make up for it. I'm always transparent as much as I can be about, what I'm bringing to the table and people respond to that. It's very interesting what you said at the beginning of that about the internet being thing that changed it all and, and it changed everything in a good way. Of course, there's all kinds of people in my age group complain about the internet because they had to learn something in their middle age, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know as a person that for has spent his lifetime learning and hopes to spend the rest of it doing more of the same. I, I, I don't know. I've just found it fascinating. Um, but the transparency is something a lot of people complain about, but you've just pointed out a huge benefit to the transparency. It forces you into being the kind of person that you actually, uh, well, that we actually all should be somebody that actually cares to do it right. And, you know, treat people with respect. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting because I, well, I realized that the transparency has a lot to do with the authenticity. That wouldn't have been my first answer. So that's something that intrigues me because you don't know any different. You haven't, yeah. you've grown up with this. You, you, you don't know what things, you know, how, to, like you said, well, I wasn't around that. Of course you weren't because, you know, when were you born? 99. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Prince Barely wrote a song made it. about your year. Yeah. Yeah, you barely made, barely barely born in the previous century. Yeah, um, and 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 so you like that. I get the impression that you get to be authentic, that you get to be transparent. Because do you find that makes it easier to do business with people? You don't feel like I, you have to cover up something, or is it like you know because you're younger, they're more forgiving if you do screw it up, or is it because you take care of it when you screw it up that that they're more forgiving? I don't know if I can say that I like it just because I don't know any other alternative. Yeah. Um, I love what I do. And I think this 
transparency builds relationships with people. And, and so with, you know, as far as that goes, I'm happy with it. I don't know if, you know, I've never tried anything different, so I can't, I can't speak on that. But, um, one thing that I do find really interesting is, um, this is the way things are, and this is what I prefer to focus on. So I have a lot of friends with different economic beliefs, with different political views that, that are sway me in a different direction. And, and, you know, some people that even some friends that are anti-capitalist and even say that what I'm doing in general is wrong. And, Mm -hmm. and while I'm very open to those views and interested in that, I try not to focus on it because if I'm going to be successful in today's market and today's business environment, I need to focus a hundred percent of my energy on doing things the way that the market, so that the market responds well. The way the market is set up for you to do that. Yeah. What you're talking about there is a huge issue that artists in general have. Um, because uh, the business end of things has has done a lot of disservices to to creative people, and it's because the wrong people had their hands on the wheel of you know or on the controls of the businesses. Um, so one thing that I'm constantly trying to do is reeducate uh, artists into understanding that first of all, like you just said, I can't do something about something I don't have control of. Yeah, you know. And so living with the way things currently are, uh, my best option is to live within that, make that work. And then, I don't know, what would you do with a million dollars? Would you just go buy bags and bags of weed, grab a plane and go? Well, a couple of duffel bags of weed. Car car and a ho-ho's and move to a private island and screw the world? Nah, I'd reinvest it. I'd buy (laughs) And, and what about the fact that a million dollars isn't a lot? No, it really isn't. It, 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 I mean, I, I, I think I'd know what to do with all of it right away. Yeah. Um, but what, what, see, what, and I asked that because you said something earlier too. You, you talked about how much pride you have in involving your family in this. So you yeah. indicated the, the, the authentic person that you are, that given these opportunities and the expansion of your business, you're looking for ways to help other people. Yeah. So you're not using capitalism in some way that it's like, well, hey, you know, now I'm going to go just screw people over because it doesn't seem to be in your nature and it hasn't been trained into your nature either, I would imagine. Um, Now, looking at look at the world today that you you, you say, well, I I don't know any different. Um, And uh, uh, and I I can't change anything I don't have control of. Tell me, tell anybody who's listening, um, what is a 19-year-old entrepreneur who also does have a musical background who took it up? That was very interesting. No, I didn't know that you took it up to uh, uh, deal with uh, your, your discomfort in public speaking situations. That's, by the way, not, to- not unique at all. Yeah. I've had plenty of students over the years who've done that. Um, and it's a very smart move. They I think it's also not unique to deny the fact that you take up vocal lessons <laughs> uh, because of anxiety in, in public forums. It, hey, you know, uh, even, even people who are comfortable in public forums, uh, if they know they're going to be doing a lot of public speaking, they train, you know. So bring it full circle. Full uh, circle. Full circle, yeah. I was just, um, as I mentioned, at a music festival last week, and we didn't finish talking about that. I didn't prepare a song 
And my dad just signed me up, put me on the list. And I went over into my cabin because we were camping and, um, and practiced something and banged out a tune. I would never go on stage, period, a few years ago, and especially without anything prepared. And I just sort of, you know, went through the chords on a song I sort of knew, relearned the lyrics and went up. And it was, it was awesome. So, um, felt good. Yeah, felt really good. Yeah. That's it. That's the idea. Uh, you know, uh, when, when you, when you played it, uh, one of the student showcases, um, you demonstrated perfectly cause you, you call yourself an introvert. I've heard you say it. Yeah. Um, you demonstrated perfectly how introverts can actually be more authentic performers because you're not compelled to waste any energy on something that doesn't belong. So you don't, you don't, there's not demonstrative things. There are yeah. demonstrative things going on and your nerves actually lent, lent themselves to creating a great stage banter mm -hmm. and, you know, made you do things that were goofy to take the pressure off yourself. And it was great. And it was a perfect example of something that I tell students all the time about, you don't have to be an extrovert to do this well. Um, now then, uh, all right. So you brought up full circle to fill circle. <laughs> uh, what are you looking at in the world at your age, doing the things you're doing now with background in music, a uh, driven young entrepreneur, uh, getting a degree, uh, the son of, uh, immigrants, um, in a massively changing world that even in your lifetime has seen tremendous change has become much smaller uh, and to many people very overwhelming uh, what concerns you what, what concerns concern you? you what do you see coming what do you hope for any of the above hmm mm -hmm, it's a good start yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm not too concerned about anything specifically. I think people in general are very concerned lately with everything, especially when it comes to the world and politics. Everybody's freaking out over something, regardless of what side they're on or what political party they uh, associate with. And I think, uh, I think that's a waste of energy. I think it's we're in a good time to think, but there's no reason to, to be up in arms and, and worrying too much about what's going on in the world. I think there's certain things we should be concerned about. Um, maybe climate change, maybe the environment, maybe, uh, uh, you know, certain political issues, but there's, there's no reason to be outraged or, or seriously focused. I think people should focus more on themselves. I know way too many people who don't focus on themselves enough and are too wrapped up. They sort of use pseudo activism as an outlet, as a, as a way to get out this existential angst. I'm talking about people my age specifically, right, people who haven't found themselves, who don't know what they're doing in life, who are quite honestly, lazy, useless humans who have just <laughs> chosen a side and are now up in arms and, activists over something that they don't even understand at my age i don't think people understand too much and if they do it's one specific issue but there's too many people that are political geniuses who are social activists who are 19 and don't understand 
enough about themselves or the world to really be talking. Very interesting. Very interesting response. Um, yeah, you know, I saw that when I was the same age. And there is a whole lot of truth in that. That, that well, I, especially like what you said. First of all, I like that you're not too concerned. He said, but maybe like climate change and stuff. See, that's the thing too. Like, what have you seen of that? Well, exactly. You, you know, you haven't seen the, the changes, any change in the world. Again, I'm not too concerned. Right. <laughs> See, I'm. You, 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 I, I saw the Athabasca's Glacier when I was in Canada. And uh, like, it was one of the bigger glaciers. I did too. Did you? Yeah. And it was about a tenth as big as it was when I saw it. So, we, so I've seen. I've also seen very positive things. Um, I remember them, and I talked about this with uh, somebody else of my age from here in Chicago on a previous podcast, uh, when the pollution was so bad that there were fish, dead fish all over the beaches in Chicago, and they had to bring out plows to like push them, mm -hmm. you know, like payloaders to pick up the dead fish. And the, the pollution was so bad that the downtown skyline was not like it was today in fog. It was actually covered with pollutants like smog they called it uh and a lot of that has been cleaned up and it's been cleaned up because people expressed a concern eagles are no longer going extinct uh there was some nesting by my apartment in downtown eau claire wisconsin um the whole in the ozone layer uh once we outlawed uh for carbons what is it, cfc's um closed itself up we take, you know, so by being concerned, we get things done and he, and people are using their voices quite widely. Um, but I think you're right that the use of energy and a, a person's own energy is a huge key to it because when you complain, you accomplish nothing. When you put negative, you know, complaint, negative feedback, throwing that at anything, all you're doing is feeding, you know, and so being overly concerned, which I know a lot of people that are very like, ah, oh, freaking out, you know, uh, up in arms, like you say, about a lot of different things. But I think that, um, I think we should continue to be concerned about the things that we generally are concerned about as human beings and continue to move forward. But I think that you, I think you really, you hit, you hit something very much on the head. The whole the use of the energy of of, of, of a person's you know focus, uh, especially when they don't. What do you know? Yeah, you're, I don't. You're admitting you don't know. You're saying, I'm well, yeah. What do I know? Like, I, well, I'm learning. Started right. Yeah, I'm very young, and I'm, I can only focus on a few things at once. There's that too. What was I doing? When I was 19 when I wasn't doing these businesses and work, and I was chasing girls and going to bars. And, and between and that, stuff, you know. <laughs> and everything else going on, there's not a lot of time. But I, I guess what I'm, what really angers me is when people get very ego invested in their views, which aren't necessarily fully formed and not necessarily coming from a very educated place. I mean, most people at 19 don't know that much about politics. At my age, we've only been involved in politics maybe a couple of years. Right. We're still forming our opinions. A lot of people don't, again, my age, don't know what what it is that they're fighting ego for. Ego invested. Yeah. Explain further. I know what you mean, I think, but explain further. Well, 
we have a tendency, people in my peer group have a tendency to sort of pick a side and absorb it into their identity. I'm a liberal. That's what I am. And if you're a conservative, that means you are attacking me personally. That's a, that's a knock to my own ego. I, I don't think that's the way things should be. If you're a liberal, you have liberal views and you should be able to have an open dialogue with a conservative and you, you can, you know, have opinions and express those opinions freely, but you shouldn't be personally, um, shouldn't feel personally attacked when somebody has different views. And this goes both ways and this goes with any sorts of views. So I'm a diehard capitalist. One of my best friends is a socialist and, and not just a, a socialist in the sense that he listens to semantic capitalist music, but a very informed, in fact, way more informed than me when it comes to economics. And I love debating with him because he seriously stumps me. Everything I do is, is comes from a capitalist mindset. It's how do I grow my business? How do I better function in the society we have? And then I would sit down with him and over a drink, he would explain to me why everything I know and do is absolutely wrong. And he would give me great st statistical and quantitative you know, evidence to support that. And that's interesting to me. I'm not ego invested in my views. Meanwhile, I know plenty of people who don't know even half of what I know and they've just chosen a side. And just the fact that somebody has a different view than them, they, they lose their minds. And I don't like that. So what do you and your friend have that they don't? That, we, make, that makes you possible. I, I have friends, I have the same, mm -hmm. I have friends like you're talking about. Same thing where we, we have, we have different views and, and I, my favorite ones oftentimes are the ones that stump me as well. Mm -hmm. Because of the challenge uh, that, that comes from that too is, is a part of it, but it, it's it's stirring the human brain and making it think and that sort of thing. But what is it you do? Do you suppose your friend and you have that these other friends who are, as you put, ego invested? Uh, what, what do you think? What do you feel like they're they're missing that you and your friend have caught on to? What's what skill or, or piece of knowledge? I think a big part of it is just that we sort of know who we are and we're not tied personally and emotionally to our views. So I understand that at age 19, my views are constantly changing. And the fact that somebody else has a different view is not an attack on me. And in fact, it might be an opportunity to explore that differing view and, and change my own views. So. I think a lot of the people that are emotionally and ego invested in, in politics and things like that are people that aren't happy necessarily with their own lives and they need to latch onto some sort of movement to find reason, to find purpose. I think if you know who you are, it doesn't matter what your political views are, or economic views are, you're not going to be emotionally attached to them. I am John and I practice capitalism. As opposed to, I am a capitalist. Yeah. All right. That's, I think, uh, extremely insightful. And I, I hope there's more people age 19 who are catching on to that sort of thinking. I I hear different things. You know, I, I, I get a huge kick out of people like, when I was a boy, you know, that kind of talk. Um, because that's the, that, that conversation has been had for generations, that, 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 that statement. When I was a kid, things were different. Of course, they were different. Things change. And, uh, and then you old kids today, they don't know anything. I was very delighted to hear in something I was listening to the other day. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but some 
you know, some intelligent person of some area or whatever said, was saying that they, uh, he found it so encouraging how invested and how intelligent kids are today. The knowledge that they have of their world and because it's at their fingertips, he found very encouraging, you know? So do we think that with all that intelligence, with all that knowledge at everybody's fingertips, what you're saying is if you can just add a sense of self, sense of purpose, maybe yeah. we can get somewhere. And maybe patience. Patience is huge. Yeah. Although then again, how, uh, has pa- how, much patience, how much has patience served you in your business? A lot. I mean, the, the whole first year or two was me losing money and, <laughs> you know, the, everything is patience or patience is everything rather. Um, people, uh, as far as business goes and as far as politics, as far as anything goes in life, I think we don't, this is totally me stealing Gary Vee's words. Oh, right but on, yeah. We don't realize that how long our lives are and how much time we have. I want to be rich now. Everybody wants to be rich now. And I, I'm even I don't have a complete grasp of how long I'm actually going to be working. I have the opportunity to grow this business for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And I'm and I'm always focused on what's going on right now. And when I see the most return is when I sort of set my sights further a year in advance or two years in advance and slowly move towards a goal instead of trying to cash out as quickly as possible. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's a good way for people to live in general. Yeah. Don't try and cash out. I that's think your next t-shirt. That's my don't next try to, t-shirt. Don't cash out right now. Yeah. Invest in your own future. Collect your toys slowly. Collect your toys slowly. John, this has been fascinating uh, getting insights into your thinking, representing your generation. And uh, I'm delighted to hear that the dialogue continues. And as with any of these, whenever I talk to interesting people on interesting subjects, man, we could go on for another hour, I have no doubt. Yeah. Um, so we, maybe we will. Probably we will. Maybe you'll be the, uh, okay, we got to bring the 19-year-old in here again. Ask him, what does he think of all this, these old people talking? Yeah. You know, of course, he'll be 20 at some point. Very soon. Very soon. So uh, people can send uh, gifts to uh, skokieprinting.com. Yep. <laughs> is that your website? Yeah, that is. Skokie Printing. Skokie Printing. Uh, S-K-O-K-I-E, Skokie. It's Skokie, Illinois, again, is a suburb just outside of Chicago on uh, the north side. And uh, Skokie Printing is John Brazant's business uh, uh, T-shirts and what else? Embroidery. So print and embroidery. Printing and embroidery. And uh, buy lots of my T-shirts, folks, so I can place more orders with them. And uh, have a great day, morning, evening, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you for listening. Keep the dialogue going on. Jen, take it easy. I'll see you.